Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. How are you, Tracy? How are you doing this week? I'm okay. Nothing much has changed in my home life. I'm still locked in. Well, that makes it sound as if I'm uh, actually under lock- a prisoner. lockdown, yes. Um, I'm still working from home, but everybody's safe and sound. How are you? Yeah, same here, same here. And I suppose that we're three weeks into lockdown now, aren't we? And it's all starting to become a bit of a reality. I mean, it's not normal, it's not normality, but it is starting to become a bit of a reality. And I think for some of us, it can be a bit overwhelming. So we kind of, we weren't quite sure what to do the show on this week, were we? No, but then I got inspiration. I had a a major shift around in my house just before the lockdown, actually. So I moved some furniture around in what used to be my office, but I've turned back into a sitting room. Bad timing, actually. I got rid of my home office just at the point when I had to start using my home office. When you needed it. But my sitting room is now a bit of a library and I moved all the bookcases around. And in my hurry to get everything shifted around, I took all the books out, moved the bookcases, but then just shoved the books back in. This this would make some people really uncomfortable now to look at my bookcases in my sitting room because there's no order to them at all. Oops. They're not in alphabetical order. They're not in size order. They're not in colour order. And they're not, as I would ordinarily do, organised into different categories mostly the fiction is separate to the non-fiction but for me that's fairly easy because a lot of my books are non-fiction yeah and a small category I only tend to hold on to the fiction books that really mean something to me and I I get them down to a, a few shelves but at the moment my bookshelves are looking really eclectic which before you get really uncomfortable and start getting really mad with me everybody I found it quite liberating because what I've been able to do is to look at my bookshelf with a completely different perspective. So instead of maybe my eyes thinking, I don't need to look in that section because I'm not interested in X, Y, or Z at the moment. I'm actually having to look through every single book on my shelf (laughs) and and re-look at them. There's books I'd forgotten that I had that clearly have been there on showing my bookcase. But because they've been in a certain section, which I haven't thought I've been particularly interested in at the moment, I've completely skipped over them. So it's like having new books. It's really rather like Christmas. It is. It's lovely. And and there's a few books in there that I'm thinking, you know what, I can't even remember reading that. And others which are old favourites, which I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I might just have a little flick through that again. There are very few where I think, I don't know why I'm still holding on to that one because that's just not the way I roll with books. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've, I've got quite a, a lineup of books now where I'm thinking, right, next one I'm going to revisit is, is that. And um, there's a number of sort of older business books that I just wanted to, to go back on. I'm going to talk today about a, a new book that I've read but the ones that are catching my eye at the moment are uh, the Sir John Harvey Jones books. And we've talked about him in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. We've, we've got the um, 
the troubleshooter um, series that I've got on my bookshelf and uh, making it happen. Another one of his books and they're, they're well thumbed books. I clearly at the time read those and read them from cover to cover several times. And I'd be really interested to see what I think of them now, all these years later, because it's a long time since I <laughs> first read those books and it's a long time since I last read them. But uh, yeah, that's, that's been my sort of week, rediscovering books. And that's why we've decided to do a bit of a pick and mix this week. So we've both chosen a book. Uh, we've both chosen a podcast, a TED talk, and then we've got a, a freestyle. So something that we were both able to choose a particular thing that we wanted to share. So I'm really grateful that you had the whole bookcasey thing because a lot of my books are at my office and of course I'm working from home so I, I don't think it's a legitimate reason to go and drive to pick up a book however uh, when I was starting to think about what book I might cover I went right back in time to a book that serves me really well at the moment because working from home procrastinating is something that I'm becoming very good at because your, your mind is stretched in so many different ways and there are things that you need to do, things that you'd like to do, things that you should have done, <laughs> all sorts of things. Yeah. So I've gone right the way back to Eat That Frog. Oh. Right, so it's only a little book. Do you remember Eat That Frog? I do, yes, but I'd like you to remind me, yes. Well, Eat That Frog, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time. It was written in about 2001 by a guy called Brian Tracy. He was, um, he was, he was getting on a bit at the time. He was 71 um, and he's written loads and loads of books on personal development. But I went back to Four Minute Books, a website that we've talked about a lot in the past, um, to remind myself of some of the lessons that Mr. Tracy wants us to, to learn. And they highlight a few in particular. I mean, the, 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 uh, the list is, there are 21, as you might expect. And there are things like plan each day in advance, um, focus on key result areas, prepare before you begin, take it one step at a time, um, identify your key constraints, slice and dice, you know, when you, you chunk things down so that you, you're not just presented with this massive um, project, task that you think, oh, crikey, I can't do that. Well, if you break it into, into chunks, maybe I could do a little bit today. Maybe I could do the prep today. So then you would feel that you're moving on. But the ones that they, they focus on are making use of unproductive time. So that's particularly um, relevant at the moment because a lot of people that I'm talking to are working from home and are afraid of not actually being actively working. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they, uh, we were talking about what's in your diary. And she said, well, I've got, a, I've got a meeting at one till two and then I've got another meeting at two till three. Uh, and then I've got a, a meeting later on in the, in the day. And I went, oh, hang on a minute. If you were attending these meetings physically rather than via Zoom, you couldn't go to a meeting at one o'clock and then a meeting at two o'clock. It's, it's just impossible. So we're setting un, unrealistic expectations. When in actual, so we're afraid of creating unproductive time. Yeah. And I think at the moment it's a case of deciding what is unproductive and what is actually necessary headspace. 
so they so they focus a lot on that then there's know yourself so know what makes you tick know what you're likely to resist get to get to know your way of working and where you might disappear down a rabbit hole and if it's opening your emails don't open your emails don't have the alerts popping up on your screen and then finally the one that they talk about is making appointments with yourself so that's actually allowing yourself some time to reflect and to think and just to decide check in with yourself how you're doing what needs doing what's stopping you what changes could you make and then how do you move forward so i think it's a really useful book just at the moment just so that we can get some balance of are we procrastinating are we doing the best that we can in the circumstances or do we need to boot ourselves up the backside that sounds really good and are you taking that advice on board yourself trying trying it's yes because but it was because when i was looking back through books that i knew that i'd got books that i knew that i'd read and and referred to in the past i thought what what am i struggling with at the moment and it is procrastinating so it's like right okay so that's that's why i've chosen that book in the hope that anybody who's listening if they're going to, through that similar sort of spiral potentially um they might just get on amazon and order themselves a copy of it um for the kindle excellent stuff tell us about your book anyway well it's my got... book is is a book that i had for my birthday so i've i've also as well as sorting through my bookcases and and finding old favorites i've also got a, a pile of books that i've had from um from birthday and christmas presents that i'm working through uh, i've read some beauties actually but this is the one i've just been reading this week finished it yesterday and it's called who cooked adam smith's dinner a lady called Catherine Marsal. I think that's how you pronounce it. There was a recommendation on the front from Caroline Criado Perez, who wrote Do It Like a Woman. I absolutely love her work. And um, she says, I genuinely believe that if everyone read this new book, patriarchy would crumble. Buy it as a pledge to change the world, which sounds a little bit of... Um, uh, you know, quite a high standard. And um, it's not my aim this week to crumble patriarchy. However, I'm interested <laughs> in economics. And this is a book about the story of women and economics. Adam Smith is known as the father of modern economics. He's the guy that came up with all sorts of things that are assumed to be true about economics, including the term the invisible hand. Um, the invisible hand that touches everything, guides everything, is in everything and decides everything. And that the, forms the basis of modern economics. And um, Adam Smith lived with his mother until she died. Adam Smith's mother cooked for him and kept house for him and did everything that enabled Adam Smith to do his writing. Hence the title. Hence the title. So it, it's taking a look at... Um, this concept called economic man and for 200 years economics has argued that the world works because of self-interest and this is the logic that enables the market to work that um, is how we shop how we work even how relationships work and one thing that really pleased me you know we've talked about this one book that i've really not liked of all the books I've read, one I really took against. Do you remember which one it was? I don't remember the title. Go on. 
Freakonomics. <laughs> oh yes, I do remember the title. Yes. I felt really yes. bad for saying that I didn't like it. And it's referred <laughs> to in this book several times because one of the things that Freakonomics does is it basically says in the book that and this is really um summing it up in, in very small amount of detail is that everything can boils down to economics you can look at everything from an economic perspective so the marketing the way the business works relationships uh, everything that you do boils down to the way that economics works if you've got a problem with the basic um, thinking behind economic man and that is that self-interest is everything then clearly you're going to have a problem with free economics so there you go I felt right so, so it all makes sense now <laughs> um, the book goes into what if that unpaid labor the work that adam smith's mother would have been doing the caring the cleaning the cooking things that are traditionally performed by women but not always not exclusively were valued by economics and, and it takes that apart and examines it and looks in the, at the way that these things that actually now during this coronavirus crisis, we are starting to recognise that some of these things, caring, cleaning, cooking, all of those sorts of things are actually um, worth a lot more than economically the value that they're given. So it was actually really good timing for all of this. And so the book just tries to break down the myth of self-interest and just shows you the chinks in current modern economic thinking as, as to how that is failing us and how things could be better. It doesn't give you all the answers. It doesn't say, you know, this is the, the solution to all of these problems, but it just sort of, for me, underlined some of the things that I felt uncomfortable with. And, and this is awfully long time ago, 30 years ago, <laughs> when I first started to study economics at university, some of it just felt really uncomfortable. A lot of economics felt like the emperor's new clothes to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like it is what it is because you say it is. And the market becomes this um, living, sentient sort of being where actually the market is a man-made creation so I, I really enjoyed the book it's not too thick um it's uh, it's list price is 8.99 it's available from all good bookshops and i think if you're interested in economics you don't necessarily have to be a feminist to read it because i'm not i wasn't reading this from the viewpoint of being a feminist more from the viewpoint of is there another way to look at economics and I think now is a perfect time when we're discovering the value of caring, cleaning, cooking, compassion in society and actually trying to then move through and, and decide what value you do place on those things. So it's called Who Cooked Adam Smith's Dinner by Catherine Marcel. So we're mixing things up a bit this week. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to signpost everybody to is a, a blog that I came across that I think is really, really interesting anyway, and yet has at this particular time some really interesting information about homeworking, leading remote teams, etc. It's a it's a blog called Hubstaff, um, and it, it comes under blog.hubstaff.com. And it has a whole raft of articles. Um, 
11 reasons why you should embrace remote remote work not easy for you to say um everything you need to know about leading remote teams um communication strategies all sorts of things it's laid out beautifully it is just a blog it's not there's no bells and whistles to it um they they have um some some products that you can buy around agile working um and accessing remote talent but it's the blog element that i think is the most interesting it's well populated uh here we go march 24th how to deal with employees not clocking in and out of work uh, remote work software options um, and then there are different things for different uh, different industries different um, markets manufacturing it's just a really good blog you can subscribe to the newsletter um, so you'll get tips on productivity and management and I would certainly say that it, it it's interesting as I say it's laid out beautifully and it's not too highbrow it's actually spoke it's written in a language that you can understand and that you can relate to um so certainly one if you want to if you want to sort of develop yourself and and you know grab a bit more information um about particular issues that might be bugging you if you search their website i'm pretty sure there will be a blog post on your industry or the issues that you're facing whether that's um manufacturing industry freelancing you want to grow your business if you're managing people etc so that's um hubstaff.com but it's blog.hubstaff.com and i'll put a link to that and everything that we talk about today on our website thebusiness.community tracy you want to signpost um people to something useful as well yes so um Ian from Foreman's LLP, the accountants in Wrexham and Chester, they, they contacted me yesterday with some information about um, the coronavirus, the job retention scheme, some guidance notes that they prepared for that and to do with sole directors and the self-employment income support scheme. So um, there's a lot of information around it's really difficult to sort the wheat from the chaff with the information so what i would recommend is you find a trusted source and stick with that one because what i'm finding when i'm looking around for guidance is that you you find it from one source set interpreting the information that way and another source interpreting the information slightly differently so you can go straight to the websites for the government and hmrc um, sometimes you want that to be interpreted into layman's language so this is what foremans are offering other accountants will be offering offering similar guidance i'm fairly certain um foremans themselves are operating they're working remotely normal working hours monday to friday so what they've sent over is um, a guidance note on the self-employment income support scheme s-e-i-s-s and this is talking about all of the relevant things that you need to consider so your eligibility how to access it the amounts involved and then they also do include a link to um, the government website itself which is really quite useful so that you know you can go and and cross check with the most up-to-date information They've sent a guidance note on practical business advice and they, they 
talk about the coronavirus job retention scheme, businesses who are paying SSP to employees, details about VAT and your eligibility to defer VAT payments, which could be really useful for some companies at the moment. Business rates holidays for certain sectors, uh, retail and hospitality grant scheme, and the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme. Again, they've put links for all of those things to the actual um, government websites and um, you can cross check the information on there. Um, and the final piece of guidance that they sent over was a guidance note on sole directors and the coronavirus job retention scheme. Now, this is based on information published as at the 31st of March, and this is their own interpretation of the guidance there. Um, they say that the UK has over 1 million sole director stroke shareholder owner managed limited companies. Uh, including personal service companies. So these do not qualify as self-employed, even though they complete a self income self, sorry, income tax self-assessment tax return. And um, as directors, if the company has a PAYE scheme and they receive a salary, then the director will be classified as an employee. So to underline, they say that the self-employment income supports scheme does not apply to company directors but that they can claim under the coronavirus job retention scheme if you're paid a salary through your PAYE scheme through your company and in that case you then can then claim the same as everybody else under the job retention scheme which is 80% of your regular salary or £2,500 and this grant um, can be backdated to the 1st of March and is currently expected to last for three months. So there's a lot more details on there about how you can calculate your regular salary. What if your salary is paid annually? Because directors pay themselves probably quite differently to their employees. And what I recommend you do is you go and have a look, contact foremans, um, or go to the um, government websites and read the information. But be aware that this information can change on a daily basis. So yeah, before you make any major decisions, just double check in with your advisors or um, at, the, at the very least, look again at the government websites to double check to see if that guidance or the rules around it have changed because the, the stuff changing day by day. What I'm saying right now as we're recording this may well have changed by the time it goes on air. So um, just, just be aware that it's, it's continually moving at the moment. But thank you to Foreman's for sending that information over. We'll put a link to their website on our blog, which is on the business.community. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And in this section, Heather and I are going to share a couple of TED Talks that we've discovered this week. Never a hardship for me is having a look through TED Talks and seeing what's trending or what's new. And what I've picked out today is something from 2016, but it's trending at the moment and probably for a very good reason. The title of the TED Talk is Asking for Help is a Strength not a weakness. And it's by a lady called Michelle L. Sullivan. 
and it's so, so far it's had about 1.6 million views and I think it's well worth 12 minutes of your time just to have a listen. So Michelle L. Sullivan has held various globally influential leadership positions at a company called Caterpillar. Uh, she's currently their Director of Corporate Social Innovation and President of the Caterpillar Foundation, which is the philanthropic arm of Caterpillar Inc. Well, there we go. I didn't know any of that before I watched the TED Talk. But the TED Talk, like I say, is 12 minutes long. Michelle herself is a short person. She's, um, that's how she describes herself. I, I wasn't quite sure as how to describe her. She uses a wheelchair and she is very little. And she talks about this in the blog is that she has to help for, ask for help a lot of the time. And she says, we all go through challenges. Some you can see, but most you can't. So she says in her case, you can see her challenges, but there are lots of people out there that have challenges that you can't see. And she talks about perspective and she shares her own stories. One that particularly caught me was um, when she first realised really significantly that she was different to everybody else. She started kindergarten. Um, I think she said she was about age six and she was so excited and she she turned up at kindergarten she strutted in and she, she was shown where her her peg was and where her a little locker was and then she went to sit down on the mat with everybody else before um the class started and um a little boy next to her asked her why she was so little and then a girl next to her was asking her why she looked different to everybody else and then she said the whole day was was marred by the fact that everybody was asking questions and questions and why are you so different why are you so little and she said that really affected her then just recognizing that she was different and um, she talks about uh, times when she she had to ask for help particularly when traveling so there is one particular instance where she talks about um she was on on an airplane and she says she normally tries not to go to the toilet but sometimes nature gets in the way and you have to go to the toilet. And so this one time she went up to the front of the plane, got speaking to the, um, the stewardess and asked the stewardess to mind the door to make sure nobody came in because she couldn't reach the lock. So she wasn't going to be able to lock the toilet door. And as she was sat on the toilet doing her business, a gentleman burst in and was horrible. Oh, no. And when she went back to her seat, she realised that this man was sat opposite her and she just walked up to him and said, are you going to remember this as much as I'm going to remember this? Something <laughs> along those lines. And she got talking to him and she said, yes, he will remember this and he probably won't be talking about it in public like I am. However, what she thinks he will take away from that more is the conversation that they had for the rest of the journey just sharing their stories you know their yeah. life their likes and you know everything else that um, they talked about on the journey and then another time when she was in a, a country where she needed actually to be carried onto the plane because there wasn't um you know the sort of the dock that goes up to the side of the plane yeah yeah so she could wheel her chair to the plane but she said she got talking to this chap who, who was going to be carrying her onto the plane. And she said, again, she thought that what he would remember 
is that deep and meaningful conversation that they had about culture and about their different countries that they lived in rather than the fact that he had to carry her up the steps of the plane um she talks about us all being part of everybody else's support system you know and that and that what what it involves is for us to not necessarily totally understand where somebody is in their life you know there's this often used phrase that you have to walk in somebody else's shoes to understand them she says well you can't (laughs) and she makes the audience laugh by saying you won't fit in my size one shoes anyway (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she says you can't walk in somebody else's shoes but she said the only shoes you can walk in are your own and so with compassion courage and understanding you walk together side by side and I think particularly at the moment, we don't know what everybody else is going through. You can't see what people are going through at the moment. And everybody's going through different challenges and they've got a different perspective on how they deal with that challenge that they're, they're dealing with at the moment. So, you know, don't try and get into their shoes, but have some courage and some compassion and understanding and walk alongside them. I would add there, separated by six feet. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What a brilliant... Yeah, I should watch that TED Talk. Sounds really interesting. It's called Asking for Help is a Strength, Not a Weakness by Michelle L. Sullivan. So what TED Talk did you delve into, Heather? Well, I found uh, a TED Talk by a guy who I had never heard of before. Um, he he is not in the Ernesto Soroli uh, camp, but he's... He's fairly high ranking. He, 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 um, his name is Ricardo Semler. He was born in Sao Paulo and own, is a majority owner of a company called Semco Partners. And it's a company that seems to do pretty much everything. Um, it, 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 it's involved in all sorts of different types of business. But most importantly, I guess, is that he took over in 1982 um, when the uh, turnover was four million pounds, um, and in two thousand and three, sorry dollars, I beg your pardon, four million dollars. In two thousand and three, two hundred and twelve million. So from four million to two hundred and twelve, nice, um, nice. and it's partly his his innovative sort of business management strategies that have, that have achieved that. Um, and the, the TED talk itself is. Um, he, he talks about um, basically changing our mind shift. He starts by saying, on Mondays and thir- Thursdays, I learn how to die. I call them my terminal days. Oh. And basically, he talks about his family and how a lot of people died of uh, melanoma cancer. Um, and he kept thinking, one day I could be sitting in front of a doctor who looks at me and says, you know, you've got six months to live or a year to live. And as so many of us, you know, it, often people say, you know, if you were given six months, what would you do? You know, what would you, what would you, um, what would you want to achieve? So he decided that he would have, it, he would call Mondays and Thursdays terminal days. And on those days, he'll do whatever it was that he was going to do if he had only got six months to live. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. So, and he said, when you think about um, the opposite of work, we think it's leisure, but actually you do need some leisure time. But when it's leisure time, you're actually very busy because you're off 
playing golf, tennis, going out, you know, so leisure, leisure itself is actually quite a busy thing. You're actively doing something. And he talks a lot about what do we do with idleness? That just, that just being, um, when we've, that's when we've really got time. So, um, so he wants to encourage his staff to take time and develop and he wants to develop his people so that they are consciously delivering what's needed but also allowing time for themselves so he goes on about 30 years ago they started to look at where people are in their lives and what's important to them um, based on when you're 29 and when you're 82 um, and basically he said you can have more leisure time if you want you can have more downtime we'll sell you back some of your time a bit salary sacrifice you know that that you know the the employee options thing that we have now so we talked about that and then he said um then we we started to think well why do we actually need to know what time you got to work and what time you left work we're employing you to to do a job of work so actually if you've done that if you've got a task to do and you've done it by wednesday he says go to the beach go to the golf course go and do stuff yeah um and he says you know if you want to he said why are we building big headquarters and then getting you to schlep across town for two hours to go to this status building this ego building why don't you work from home everybody saves time we save money because we're not buying this massive headquarters so we've really shaken up the way that you think about business um and and then he, he, he there were two other things that he said one was um right we advertise a job you apply for a job whoever feels like turning whoever's interested in interviewing will you will turn up and interview you and if you've got the skills and criteria well okay then we'll look and see yeah. well, okay what does that mean for the business what if nobody um, turns up to interview you well then i guess you're not going to get the job because nobody's gone yeah this person looks like they're worth meeting oh but beyond that he says on the board they have two empty space empty spaces that anybody can go and vote on so they'll he said that we'll get cleaning staff voting on decisions that affect everybody within the organization um we let people set their own salaries uh, it, it's just it, it's fantastic he he's he's lovely he's a really nice guy um he's he's you know he accepts he's got quite a few quid so does he really need to stress about money no but actually it's more than that it's about how you've spent your life how to have a life that's lived um and that how we get wise at the end of life actually let's get wise now so that we we manage our lives we manage our careers wisely so that we get the best out of out of them all but yeah really interesting easy to listen to um nice guy yeah just a nice guy you're listening to the business community on Calon fm and we've talked a lot in the past about influencers and in particular with regard to social media um but i've chosen a podcast this week that is very much about influencers from within the media itself uh, it's hosted by a guy called paul blanchard who describes himself as a pr consigliere which is a member of a mafia family did you have to, <laughs> which I thought was... 
Did you have to look bit that bro- one up, Heather? Yeah, I did have to look that one up. I was thinking, oh, consigliere, mm, sounds great. But as soon as I saw the mafia connotation, I decided it wasn't for me. I'm not going to be changing my business cards anytime soon. But he works with CEOs and thought leaders, building a managing reputation. So that's his strap line. But essentially, Media Masters is a podcast where he talks to people who shape the media. And when we think about it, when it comes to business, whatever's going on in the media has the ability to make or break a business. Um, What's trendy, what's innovative, what's um, what's key, what's really important. You know, we've already talked about how we're learning that. He talks to authors, he talks to people who make TV, he, make, he talks to people who um, have founded luxury brands, he talks to, um, one that caught my eye is Jay Rayner, the food critic, just because my husband is often reading excerpts of his um, his articles. People who are the movers and shakers and influencers, and they're the people who feed us what to believe and what to think. And it's from that then, if, if, if that's being fed to us, then it's going to be being fed to our customers. So it, a really interesting little podcast. They're usually about an hour long. Um, there's a whole back catalogue that you can work your way through. Uh, but they, they're people who you wouldn't ordinarily happen upon in their own right, other than as journalists, as media magnates, as TV um, production companies, etc. So I thought it was... Um, I thought it was just a really interesting one. So it's called Media Masters and uh, it's available through your usual podcast channel. What have you got, Tracy? Well, first of all, I'd like to come in and say that, yes, Media Masters. I've listened to at least one of those uh, a little while ago now, but it was absolutely fascinating. I listened to an interview with Ken Bruce and I think it was last year, middle of last year, and just an absolutely fascinating interview where he talks about his whole broadcast career really and you just get some interesting insights being in radio ourselves as we are as we are um it was interesting to see what how it goes on behind the scenes at radio two and how Ken Bruce has built his career. So, yeah, absolutely big thumbs up. And it's reminded me to go back and perhaps listen to a few more of those. So thank you. Right, my podcast is not business related in the slightest. Though my podcast is something that I've allowed myself to do in downtime. Um, and it's described as the history podcast for people who don't like history. Now, I do actually like history. However, the the whole premise of the podcast really captured my imagination. It's called You're Dead to Me, which is an interesting (laughs) Yeah, I suppose most things in history are dead. Um, And this is where we've got Greg Jenner, and he brings in an expert on history, and he brings in a comedian. And they talk about and laugh about the past. Now, this has gone on my list of things that I really need to catch up on. I've only listened to one so far, but really, really, I've now I've, I've subscribed to it and really, really want to recommend at least the one I've listened to, which is the history of chocolate. And here, um, Greg Jen is joined by a chocolate historian called Alex Hutchinson and the great Richard Osman. Um, oh, lovely. Yeah. And they're talking about the, the history of chocolate, um, 
Britain's favourite confectionery. So from the Mayans flavouring their cacao and to how it became chocolate and into the shops and um, how a family feud changed the entire branding of the much loved chocolate bar, blah, 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 loads and loads. It's light, it's fun, it's interesting and it's a perfect thing to have on in the background or if you're just needing to not be thinking about being productive about your work for half an hour. So you mean you can dress it up as a little bit of education, yeah, but it's actually well, quite easy. That's the way I justified it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it is about, um, you know, give it, allowing yourself some downtime, but then not feeling really guilty that you're just having a nap. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with just having a nap. I think it's... <laughs> It's a very valuable thing to do. But if you can um, fit that in with learning about the Mughal Empire or Eleanor of Aquitaine, Josephine Baker, I'm just going through the list now, the Ancient Olympics, Mary Shelley, um, Neanderthals, Victorian Christmas, the history of elections. I did have a look through to try and justify this by saying there was something about business in there. But to be perfectly honest, I couldn't put my finger on anything that was directly business related. But um, yeah, so I've dressed it up as something to do in your downtime. I hope that counts. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, and because it's chocolate and because it's Easter week, then um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's legitimate, isn't it? It's and legitimate. I think if you can, and when you're having small talk with people, if you can just pull out a little bit of interesting information, then it, it's just a little bit of, um, material for you isn't it so for example did you know that um round trees did actually have a go at growing cacao in the uk they didn't no. do too well because cacao only grows in a very narrow band around the equator but they got a hot house and they grew cacao i think they managed to produce one pod or, or you know enough to make one very small bar of chocolate and apparently what they did is they turned that tiny tiny amount of chocolate um, seed into a bar of chocolate which they gave to the then princess elizabeth who is now the queen so why if you met the queen would you ask her what it was like to be the only person to eat british grown chocolate well i would hope that she would say she didn't eat it what would you do with it then? Well, if it was the only bar in existence, I would need to keep it. I wouldn't eat it. Wow, Heather, we're so different. <laughs> <laughs> I would so eat that chocolate and enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you very much for joining us for the business community. Um, and we will be back next week with more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. <laughs>